Would you please remain standing and join me in reciting the Shema that our Lord Jesus would have recited every day of his life. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our scripture this morning is from the 18th chapter of Genesis, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the words of the Lord. The Lord appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while he sat at the entrance of his tent in the day's heat. He looked up and suddenly saw three men standing near him. As soon as he saw them, he ran from his tent entrance to greet them and bowed deeply. He said, Sirs, if you would be so kind, don't just pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought so you may wash your feet and refresh yourselves under the tree. Let me offer you a little bread so you will feel stronger. And after that, you may leave your servant and go on your way since you have visited your servant. They responded, Fine. Do just as you have said. So Abraham hurried to Sarah at his tent and said, Hurry, knead three seas of the finest flour and make some baked goods. Abraham ran to the cattle, took a healthy young calf and gave it to a young servant who prepared it quickly. Then Abraham took butter, milk and the calf that had been prepared, put the food in front of them and stood under the tree near them as they ate. They said to him, Where's your wife, Sarah? And he said, Right here in the tent. Then one of the men said, I will definitely return to you about this time next year. Then your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were both very old. Sarah was no longer of the age to have children, so she laughed to herself, thinking, I'm no longer able to have children, and my husband's so old. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Me give birth at my age? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? When I return to you about this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Sarah lied and said, I didn't laugh because she was frightened. The Lord replied, no, you did. (laughs) The men got up from there and went over to look down on Sodom. Abraham was walking along with them and sent them off when the Lord said, will I keep from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will certainly become a great populous nation and all the earth's nations will be blessed because of him. I have formed a relationship with him so that he will oversee his children and his household after him. And they will keep to the Lord's path, being moral and just, so that the Lord can do for Abraham everything he has said he would. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We continue on our sermon series in the hospitality, and this morning's passage has a lot in it. As I prepared uh, for these coming weeks up to this morning, I kept thinking about the different layers and levels of hospitality. So I will take you through a few of those if you will humor me. The first one, the most distant one, the most far off level of hospitality is what I like to call leaving growth on the corners of your fields. It's an idea or a term from Old Testament scripture that as people would give of what they had, which was mostly grain, they would not harvest the entire field. So the scripture actually invites and in some ways instructs and commands us to leave growth on the corners of our fields, the edges of our land, to allow for the unexpected passers-by, who, let's be honest, will be expected at some point, so that they could gather food off the vine 
or the food that had fallen from the tree and they could eat it themselves. It's this idea of hospitality, of thinking about your fellow man as they will be in need and come by. And I think it is the most distant kind of hospitality. In our current day, I think of it, the, the loose change, the spare few dollars that we give to someone on the street corner, or in my mother's case, the spare Nutrigrain bar that you keep in your car so you can hand it to the homeless man who is hungry. This distant level of hospitality, the farthest level, or the most distant one. The next level I think about is the unexpected guest. And my favorite unexpected guest story comes from a 1968 film that almost won Best Picture, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, where Spencer Tracy and his wife, wife played by Catherine Hepburn, have a young daughter who goes off on a trip and comes back with a new boyfriend she is so excited about, who we need know to be played by Sidney Poitier, who the parents don't. And she sits there with dreamy eyes and pronounces his name to Catherine Hepburn, John Wade Prentice. And Catherine Hepburn starts to repronounce the words and hear it on her tongue, John Wade. And then Sidney Poitier walks in and he realizes that his girlfriend hasn't told his mother, her mother, that she's dating a black man. The unexpected guest, the person who drops by and it's not someone that we're necessarily prepared for. As you know, the movie continues on and we learn a great deal of it. But I think of this next level of hospitality for how we welcome in the people we don't expect to be dropping by. And then in this third level of hospitality, the invited guest, the one that you are expecting. There are kind of rules and regulations for how this works, even when they're close friends. I recently went to a dinner party for a birthday for some family of ours and at the birthday was invited guests who see themselves as distant family and even identify as such, but they're still invited guests. There's still rules for how they interact with the space. We help them, we serve them, we wait on them, that kind of thing. And they actually had another family member in town. And when we found out about this other family member in town, we said, oh, why don't you invite them? And they stopped and they said, is that all right? They're invited guests. They're invited over usually for an expected period of time. These guests were coming for dinner. If they stayed the night, it'd be a little awkward, but you're expecting them. There's this level of openness and hospitality. So this third level of hospitality, I'd call it the expected guest. And then this next level of hospitality, the fourth level of hospitality, we're getting closer and closer. We have more access to what's going on. What I call it, it's kind of the uninvited family. This is distant family or really close friends that kind of take on the title of family that have permission to drop by, and sometimes they do it a little more than you want. We had some family uh, that would use the phrase mi casa su casa, which many of you are familiar with, but some of you will know some people take this phrase more literally uh, than you meet it. So it's say, my dad would always say, mi casa su casa, you know, you know where the Diet Cokes are, and then we'd come home one day and those distant family members would be sitting on our couch watching our TV, drinking Diet Cokes, and have literally made themselves at home. As one of my friends likes to say, when someone says make yourself at home in the South, it doesn't literally mean make yourself at home. And there's always levels you can go to kind of push this. Um, My example is always if you call and change their cable package like you would your own, um, you quickly find out how much it is really your home. 
We had a friend growing up who would unexpectedly drop by and he'd see a car in front and the front door was always open. And so sometimes he'd come in, you'd hear the door and then you wouldn't see him for a while and he'd walk in with a bowl of ice cream. You know, he's eating his ice cream and he'd say, hey, hey Ned, how are you doing? And he says, good. I said, what is that? He says, ice cream. Do you want some? You know, and he, you know he's been in your pantry and your fridge getting ice cream. Uh, but these are these... Uh, kind of, un, I like to call uninvited family. It's their family and you welcome them and you put up with them and sometimes they are there when you don't want them. And then um, there's actual family uh, where it's, uh, I like to think of as immediate family or for those of you that have children that have moved away and come back that could be um, uh, immediate family that shouldn't be there. Um, but but the image I like for this, uh, the what I would call the highest level of hospitality is is a person who is family and has a key to the house and knows the alarm code and or, or knows where the hide a key is, but probably has their own key. So the picture I have for this level of hospitality is I have my key to my house. I should probably be able to show it to you. Um, so I have my key to my house, and this goes to my back door. And I can come and go as I please, or as someone out at the 830 pointed out, as my wife permits. And... I have access to my house, and in some levels, it is my house, and I get to be there. So one of the realities we're looking at in hospitality, and David's been teaching about us about, is how God makes space for us. And he's been teaching us about how in creation, God was and is and had to, in a sense, make some room for us to be in this very advanced idea like David does where he introduces us to concepts where you stop and your head kind of explodes. But this week we take a shift and we start to look at how we make space for God in our lives. Now that might sound like a weird thing to be talking about in a church, which we would see as God's house, or even in our very hearts, which Paul describes as the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, where God comes to tabernacle to put up a tent in our very lives, to send his very spirit and dwell amongst us. But we know um, from the story of the garden that there is a reality where God invites us to be with himself and gives us the freedom to say yes or to say no. And in that same way, we can reciprocate that level of hospitality or invitation to God as well. Or as many of us know, we can say, no thanks, not today. I don't want to let you into my space or even that very part of my life. I've made space for you here, and maybe it is here, very literally at church, but maybe not some other spaces. So what I want to highlight for us this morning is how are we being hospitable to God in our very lives? How would God find our lives hospitable for him if he were to show up as he does so often as we talk about would he find our lives to be hospitable? Another way of thinking of this is if God were to come and be a house guest at your house, would he feel comfortable? Many of you know when you have regular friends or family come to stay, you get to know their little quirks. You learn what coffee they like in the morning, when they like to get up, if they read the paper or not, you know, what type of temperature they need in their place. What makes God feel at home in your home? When he shows up at dinner, does he feel welcomed and like an old friend that has a key and can get in whenever he wants? 
Or does he feel like the distant stranger who's only used to getting a little bit off the fields that you didn't harvest? Where are we making space for God in our lives and how are we doing this? David has a great line. He says, Jesus and his disciples were often accused of hanging out with sinners and partying. And I'm concerned that some of our people never get accused of that. Now, David's quick to point the light on his own life as well, and I hope that we are too. I thought of the Billy Joel line, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than die with the saints. The sinners are so much more fun. As I thought about how we make our homes and our very lives hospitable for God, I thought of how we make room for him, we welcome him, we acknowledge him and honor him, we make a place that fits with him. When, when, when David talks about the rule and reign of God and heaven on earth, he talks about heaven coming to earth, earth being a place where God feels at home, where his scriptures are lived out, where he's honored and recognized, where his mission and rule and reign live. And what is this rule and reign? But of love and acceptance And of welcoming this act of hospitality does not just extend to others. It's not just God extending it to us. It's us extending it to God himself. As I wondered what God would put on the wall, what we would put on the wall to make God welcome in our homes. Would it be a scripture? Would it be a prayer? Would it be something we're passionate about? Would it be a sign of beauty or art or music? Or would it just be something that we share with him? I don't know, but I think there's room to dream there, to ask questions, and to wonder. I began to ask myself this week, are there ways that God can drop in on my life? Is there space? Is there room? One of my friends went through a time where God was waking him up in the middle of the night to speak to him through prayer and scriptures and encouragement. And after a few weeks of this, he was getting tired at work and he said he was wearing down. And I asked him, honestly, I said, I wonder if you spend more time with God during the day when you're awake, he won't have to wake you up at night. Are there ways that God can drop into our lives? And then like our friends that we go out to get and bring back into our homes Are we going out to actively get God to bring him into the places we live? Or are we just waiting for him to drop by? Notice how Abraham essentially stops these men. He's out at the entrance of the tent. He sees the Lord there and the men coming by. And he actively goes to pursue them and wait for them. Are we like Zacchaeus going out and finding God and welcoming him into our house? Or are we like Paul wandering about, waiting for that road to Damascus experience where Jesus just confronts us. How do we go out to get him and invite him back into our lives? And then finally, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out what happens when God comes to dinner. This, in a sense, unexpected guest for some of us, but for Abraham, it was almost a normal thing for God to drop by. Special, for sure. But God did it from time to time. Well, God brings a different reality. 
work for God is also translated as miracle for us. The things that God does in our space are different. As we heard this morning from Ashley, the stories and the reality and the presence of God bring surprise, bring change, bring transformation, and even miracles themselves. So I'll fast forward ahead to Genesis chapter 21 to let you know how this unfolds, how we are changed when God shows up. The Lord was attentive to Sarah just as he had said, and the Lord carried out just what he had promised her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham when he was old, at the very time God had told him. Abraham named his son, the one son Sarah bore him, Isaac. Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, just as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has given me laughter. Everyone who hears about it will laugh with me. She said, Who could have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse sons? But now I've given birth to a son when he was old. As we begin to make space for God in our lives, he shows up in the unexpected, in the uncanny, even in miracles, and we are all left changed. So I'd invite you this week to think about ways that we make space for God, for ways that we make God feel at home in our own lives.